Good morning. I am Catherine Mills, and you are listening to the Crude Audacity podcast, the podcast that talks shop shit and all things strategy with oil patch influencers. Now, as y'all know, the Crude Audacity is located in the beautiful energy state of Colorado. And this morning, we will be discussing reasonable and necessary. Two words that make every Colorado energy individual cringe just a little bit. (laughs) As we head towards the end of 2019 and into the election year, you may be noticing an uptick in the political discussions that surround fossil fuels and the energy industry. And let's face it, our oil industry generates some flashy headlines and people love a scare tactic. So today, let's consider the policy of oil. What are we in for? How do we support our energy industries from home and on a larger scale? I mean, it really is time to take pride in energy. And here to discuss just that, Carrie Hackenberger, welcome to the Crude Audacity podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. (laughs) I am so thrilled you're here. One, because you were the first person to really jump into the policy of oil with us. Uh, Also, Colorado being the sounding board that it is. But I have seen you in action at the COGCC meetings, the local county meetings, and one of the things that is just standing out is, one, you dominate those two minutes that they give us. (laughs) But two, you have not been afraid to really push back on the lack of knowledge uh, seen with commissioners and, you know, county officials, be they voluntary or elected. So... We need to know all about you. How did you get started in energy? You did not start out in oil. So what led you down this path? And really, how did you ascend the roles that you have now? Because you're really dominating it right now. Well, thank you for that. Um, And again, thank you for having me. You're right. I did not start in the uh, oil and natural gas industry. I have been with API now for about three years, though. So um, and in our world, I kind of feel like that's much longer than three years because it never stops and there's a lot going on. Exactly. It's called work-life integration. (laughs) Yes, exactly. That's a great way to put it. Um, I am actually a Colorado native, so born and raised. I grew up in southeast Aurora, so I've been here my entire life. Um, I did a brief stint in San Diego after college. Um, And when I say brief, I mean very brief, like three months. (laughs) So it doesn't really count. So Colorado through and through. Yes, exactly. (laughs) I went to CSU up in Fort Collins and I got my degree in business administration, computer information systems, actually. Um, And so my first job out of college, my first real big girl job as I like to yeah, call it. Yeah, yeah, your first like, <laughs> t- did I make the right investment job? <laughs> exactly. Um, was actually with an industrial automation company um, out of Golden originally, and then they moved to Inglewood. Their headquarters were in Milwaukee, so we had a smaller office here in Colorado. And I did a lot of uh, data analytics operations things for mm-hmm. them. Um, how forward thinking of you for oil and gas. Yeah, <laughs> it, it worked out well, although I'm not sure how much I use, use that now in my oil and gas role, but it was a good experience. Yeah. Um, so I did that for about three years, three and a half years, uh, worked with them. And then I had a mutual friend kind of pass along a job opportunity here at API mm-hmm. um, as an operations manager in kind of the policy and government affairs world. And um, my family has some background in government affairs, and I actually swore I would never get into that world. Yeah. Um, but here We've I am. We've all been there. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, so I 
you know, was kind of looking for a change. I wanted something new in my role at Rockwell. I had done some work with some oil and gas companies and was always just kind of fascinated by it. Mm -hmm. Um, Energy is such an integral part of our daily lives. And uh, I saw that very early on and (laughs) saw this opportunity and kind of just was looking for something new. So then came over here to API. That's awesome. Yeah. So been with API for about three years now, like I said, a little over three years. Um, And I've loved every minute of it. (laughs) I uh, Note to boss. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Um, It's never boring. There's something new every single day. Yes. Um, And I actually got my master's degree during my time here at API in global energy management at CU Denver. Love them. So you really got to look at energy as the full perspective instead of just the oil and gas industry. Absolutely. I love hitting that home because we all work together so well. We do. We do. I think people forget um, that we all have a lot in common regardless of the energy resource. Mm -hmm. And uh, my master's program actually really helped open my eyes to that. Mm-hmm. And um, Sarah loves you right now, just FYI. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, but yeah, no, I've really enjoyed it. And uh, it, like I said, is always exciting and mm-hmm. there's always something new. That's wonderful. Yeah. Well, it's only a little bit of your story, though, because you've really ascended the ranks here. You've honestly carved out your own niche in API for the CPC. So talk to us about that process. Where did you see the opening and how did you get yourself to where you are now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, like I said, I started as an operations manager. We were a pretty small shop here in Colorado. Mm -hmm. Um, When I first started, there was two of us. So it was our executive director at the time and myself. Um, And as you know, there's a lot going on in in our (laughs) world here in Colorado. And so... um, it wasn't uh, necessarily an option. It was kind of just something exciting and, you know, there's always something to do and mm-hmm. always something to pick up. So that's kind of the mentality that I took in that, you know, there is always something more or better that we can be doing mm-hmm. as a trade association to represent our companies. And um, I just wanted to pick up those pieces where they where I could. That's awesome. Yeah. I like that attitude because we need more of that. (laughs) Yeah. And then uh, our executive director, we went through a transition here actually um, right before 181. Mm -hmm. And so we had kind of a lull period, a down period. And um, we all, at that time, we had three of us in the office minus the executive director. And they're just I mean, 181 was this brave new world. And <laughs> That's a was, good way to put it. Yeah, and so there wasn't really an option to let things fall through the cracks. And yeah. so um, I don't, you know, I think we all, all three of us here in the office kind of jumped in where we could and picked up the pieces that were missing when we, you know, were in transition of, between executive directors. And um, so I spent a lot of time at the Capitol during 181, with uh, other industry representatives. Um, And since then, I've just kind of used that experience. It was an experience that I never really realized I would have Mm -hmm. so early, um, but it would taught me a lot. (laughs) And uh, I've just kind of continued from there. So talk to us about CPC, Colorado Petroleum Council. You're a leg of API. What is really your role, function, I guess, 
expansive reach that y'all do have, what happens with all of that? How are you leading the charge with oil and gas industry? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so CPC API is a national trade association. Yes. We actually started <laughs> as a standard setting organization. So mm-hmm. we have over 700 standards um, across the spectrum of industry. And Colorado's office started, um, gosh, about five for six years now, okay. um, they brought us out here. Kind to, of as a grassroots effort. Yeah, type thing. a little bit. Yeah, yep. I think um, you know tides were turning here in Colorado, and um, there was a lot going on over at the Capitol, over at the COGCC, CDPHE. Um, Still is, man. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, it never ends for us. <laughs> Every protest. <laughs> yes. Um, so yeah, CPC. Our you know primary focus is to be advocates for the industry and the member companies that we represent. Um, on a local level, on a state level, at all the various agencies, with mm-hmm. legislators, et cetera. Um, so we really try to educate the people that are making policy decisions yes. around the industry. And we thank you. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I don't know how great of a job we do, and um, I think there's a lot of work to be done. But Well, I've seen you guys in action, so I'm going to tell you you're doing a very good job. But <laughs> thank I you. mean, I, I love hearing so much about it because – you know, you don't realize how much education is needed. Absolutely. So you said that there are other uh, petroleum councils throughout Mm -hmm. the states as well. So does that give you the breadth of knowledge not only here at home, but across the 48? Or is it regional? How does that work? Yeah, so we're actually um, the furthest office west. uh, And we are here in our office are focused primarily on Colorado. Yes. But um, what what we have and what is helpful with all of the other state offices that we have is kind of the knowledge that we can share with our counterparts across mm-hmm. those states. So if there's something happening in New York or um, Ohio, we can kind of translate that information or the strategies that we used in those various states over to us and vice versa. So okay. it helps um, us kind of learn directly from one another and it, you know, share what worked, what didn't work, what we could improve on mm-hmm. across the state, states, which I think is really helpful. Are you seeing a lot of sounding boards? I, I call Colorado a sounding board. They come and they try and get something moving here and then apply it elsewhere. Are you seeing that happen from East Coast to West Coast as well? I know everybody's dealing with their own stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a variation across states, but I think that's been one of our biggest fears all along is mm-hmm. Colorado is a precedent precedent and setting state yes Um, (laughs) it is hard to say I agree (laughs) and uh, that's kind of our biggest fear is what happens in Colorado trickles Mm -hmm. down to other states like New Mexico and Texas even and um, Ohio and others and vice versa so yes I think that is something that is very that we're very focused on Mm -hmm. and how to kind of control that messaging For being your first podcast, you are doing a very good job, just (laughs) FYI. Thank you. (laughs) I tricked her into this, y'all. So let's talk about the Colorado landscape, because I have always known Colorado to be an energy state, first Mm -hmm. and foremost. And it was an evolution over time, but this is not a Democrat issue. This is not a Republican issue. And I know we like to throw it out there, but that's really for the headlines. Mm -hmm. This is an energy industry issue. And we should be making decisions based off of the betterment of human mankind all the way back to the moral case for fossil fuels thank you alex epstein but what is your take on the current state of colorado 
Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> did you read the Twitters this morning? <laughs> I did. Is I Twitters did. a word? <laughs> Sorry. I like it. I'm very old. <laughs> well, we'll go with it. Um, well, yes, as I mean, as you just acknowledged, Colorado has changed significantly. Yes. Um, it is not fully the state that I grew up in as I was younger. And to your point, um, growing up here, I always knew that oil and gas was an integral part to Colorado mm-hmm. as a state. Um, Starbucks even acknowledges that by putting a little rig on their cups. <laughs> I haven't seen that, but I do want that now. <laughs> we bought like 25 of them when they first came out. Oh my God. The Everyone who dislikes the industry was throwing a big fit. Sorry, oh. I digressed a little bit. But the cups, yeah, their cup. <laughs> I yeah, okay, yeah. Um, but I, the landscape has changed drastically, and you know, to your point, the energy industry shouldn't be talked about some talked about in a way that is partisan. It's Correct. not a Republican issue. It's not a Democrat issue. We all need electricity. Exactly. We all need to heat our homes. We all need to drive our cars. Mm-hmm. We all need the medical supplies that petroleum products um, create. Hospitals are basically oil. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, so the landscape, you know, it's unfortunate that that has become the epitome of the conversation, that it is a Republican or it is a Democrat concern because that's not how it should be so I mean the landscape has changed drastically and I think that's one of the things we're battling and I think it's not just on a statewide level it's on a national level as well it's kind of across the board Mm -hmm. and you know my hope and I think our industry's hope in general is the pendulum swing isn't helpful either no and you know no one wants to go from one policy to something that's completely the opposite because that doesn't provide stability for any of our companies mm-hmm. um, so I I would hope that one day we can get to back to a place that's in the middle where we're not going through these constant pendulum swings of policy that surround our industry exactly so the phrase that every Coloradan loves to hate right now is reasonable and necessary. Mm-hmm. I know this will lead us into the 181 and the drama behind that, but can you break down for us why this is such a beneficial and yet fatal phrase for the Colorado oil industry right now? Absolutely. Um, so I think there's a lot of unknown behind reasonable and necessary, which I think goes to your personal opinions, <laughs> um, which goes to your, you know, the fatal side of things. We don't know what reasonable and necessary will really mean. The reason that we worked so hard to get those two very critical words put into 181 mm-hmm. um, was because they removed cost effectiveness and technical feasibility. Throughout. You, you think those would stay there? Yes, yes. Throughout in the entire um, Oil and Gas Act, those will now be gone when but the mission change rulemaking happens. By they, you mean Polis and his team? Yes, the, okay. the bill sponsors, or the, the, the people that wrote the bill and the side that was really pushing for 181 to get okay. passed. Um, so that the reasonable and necessary was... Um, something the industry pushed very very hard for and worked really hard to keep in there because that is the hopefully the legs that we will have to stand on as some of these new regulations come down the pike Mm -hmm. again we don't know what reasonable and necessary means right now because to one person that could mean something and to another that could mean something very different our hope is that it will provide some balance as we look at these regulations um moving 
moving forward, we have a lot of rulemakings ahead of us, and those two words are going to be critical as these regulations go into place. Mm -hmm. um, but we've seen, you know, some local regulations that have passed that have not necessarily accounted for what we would say is reasonable and necessary. So I would agree. Again, <laughs> a lot of unknowns here uh, moving forward. It's kind of interesting to go to these meetings and um, jumping, I guess, taking you into COGCC. Mm -hmm. I knew nothing about energy policy uh, until about six months ago, and I was just curious. I started attending the hearings. I started going to county meetings just to see what people were saying and how it was coming across. And I have to say, my take on COGCC right now is it's unlike any other commission board in any other state. Um, from the two minutes you have to speak to the disconnect uh, throughout that organization itself to, uh, I guess, their general interest, and in, doesn't matter who, but who is speaking to them. It, it seems like there's they already know where they want to go with it. There already is a policy in place that they have to follow. So this is just, you know, I guess, uh, the rigmarole that gets us to that point of them already having made this decision. So how is the CPC navigating the COGCC right now? Because it seems like it's a little tumultuous. Yeah, um, it's it's definitely tough. It's not... Um, They're it's, not calling you every day for coffee? <laughs> it's not an easy endeavor by any means. And um, I think you and I spoke a little bit about this before, but um, it's been such a big shift. And, yeah. you know, we went from a balanced commission with a few industry um, industry experts or yeah. at least people with some professional background in the industry to one person to one individual on exactly. that commission and he's just a technical advisor yes um, and so you know we are seeing a I, I will go back to a brave new world in that <laughs> um, there's not a lot of background or context into what the industry has already done or has already accomplished as far as it, as far as rulemakings mm -hmm. go or the various things that um, you know industry has voluntarily done. Yeah. I think there's a disconnect in education there with the, the commissioners that are now on board. Um, well, they're all appointed. Yes. They're all part-time. Yep. And from, if I remember properly, most of them are lawyers with no background in energy in any capacity. So it's surprising, even from a democratic standpoint, that they were chosen to lead the charge on this without any sort of, I mean, do they know what API stands for? Because that's the first thing you learn in school. I mean, it's just the reality yeah. and it seems very common. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it's definitely challenging. And I mean, you know, you kind of hit it on the nose. They're part-time and they're volunteers. And, um, I, I don't want to say sympathize with them, but I do sympathize with them because there is a lot to know about our industry. Yeah. And being part-time and being volunteer and not having a background in our industry, um, I mean, I'm still learning every single day. Yeah, absolutely. And it's been three years, and I do this full-time, more than full-time, mm -hmm. really. Um, so I think that's one of our... <laughs> more than full-time. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> um, but I think that's one of our big challenges is, mm -hmm. you know, this is not there every day, and um, that's not necessarily helpful. So I'm hopeful that when we see the Professional Commission come on board next July, yeah. that we might make some progress, even if they don't have as big of a background in the industry, um, because they will be immersed in it full-time. I'm hoping so, too. Just, I mean... 
you learn by immersion. There's really no exactly. way in this industry you don't graduate and all of a sudden you're a good engineer. Yeah. It takes years and years and years of cutting your teeth. Yep. So it's just surprising to me yep. when I read their uh, <laughs> their website. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, but to the 181, let's talk Adams County because mm-hmm. that was probably one of my favorite mm-hmm. uh, favorite I guess theatrical shows to yep. watch. Everyone showed up mostly in favor there was one woman with a plastic sign out in the back saying don't weld county adams county or something like that but again plastic sign oil and gas Mm -hmm. so you know whatever everyone was sitting there offering red lines offering to speak more on it you know let's have that discussion like don't make a rash decision ahead of time and instead the decision was made within 20 minutes Mm -hmm. They already knew what was going to happen. And I know this because I was sitting in the audience going, is this real? So we're seeing that happen more and more and more. We're seeing Boulder pushback. We're seeing environmental groups suing for air quality control because they didn't like the science report that, you know, essentially supported the oil and gas industry or the ban on fracking and how it's not contaminating your water just a whole plethora of things Mm -hmm. so for 181 to create the patchwork that it has and allow all these individual counties and locations to essentially design their own rules there's going to be fallout i mean what are y'all predicting what are you kind of thinking along these lines i know you redline every day (laughs) yes i do a lot of redlines um i think you highlighted it perfectly a patchwork of regulations is popping up around the state and you know we knew that was going to happen post 181 that was kind of our biggest fear we wanted it to be a reasonable approach to what local control means and yeah the primary reason for that outside of the patchwork of regulations is just the technical expertise our industry is so technical and a lot of these local governments don't have the expertise in their staff and on their commission or on their councils or etc to you know make regulations that fit our highly industrial highly technical Mm -hmm. industry Um, and so I think that's one of our biggest fears and I you know we've seen it already we've seen a lot of local governments pass regulations or put moratoriums in place that mm-hmm. um or fall or what they're not calling moratoriums but they are moratoriums yes <laughs> yep um and you know what we're urging and imploring these local governments to do is to take their time when they're doing these regulations and to really you know understand what is feasible and what's reasonable and necessary what technology um, actually exists yes exactly <laughs> and you know there's certain things um so i mean electrifying dr- drill rigs for example oh that that's, was a fun conversation <laughs> yeah i mean and that's a very feasible thing in some scenarios and it's something industry is voluntarily doing across the board in certain areas and er- in certain scenarios but it wasn't brought up that that's already happening mm-hmm. it was just to rile yep. people up yep and it's not feasible in some places Mm-mm. and then you have a generator out there and that's kind of doing the contrary um so there's just there's just things that these local governments really need to think through and fully understand and um you know i think we saw some positive progress in commerce city this past monday when mm-hmm. they decided not to move forward with their regulations that were very were going to be very detrimental to the yeah. industry um so i think you know I think there's a lot of unknown. I think there's some local governments out there that are waiting to see what the state does and hence have put in these moratoriums in place because they 
want these rules to be in place at the state. There's other local governments that are just moving ahead and doing what they're going to do. And um, Do you think they already had an agenda? Yes. Because there's no other way. I mean, it's not just a small handful that are moving ahead. It's it's a good chunk of yes. them. Yep. And they, I mean, what was the headline I saw today? Uh, toxic chemicals and frack fluid, and we're going to require that everybody disclose what they're doing on the frack stuff. Well, one, it's not toxic chemicals, and two, the industry already has to, uh, yep. I guess, notify what yes. was used. Yep. So they're not even looking back in history to come up with a headline that works. Mm-hmm. It's just a scare tactic. Yep. So why? What? Who? Who is leading the back end charge of this? Because I was surprised by Adams. Yeah, I think. Um, you know, I think that's why local elections are so important right mm-hmm. now. Um, I think the activists that want to put our industry out of business have now this new realm to go explore on a local government level. You know, before it was they needed to get things done at the state, and that's mm-hmm. a larger body, and it's a little bit harder to do depending on the makeup. Yep. Now we have these local elections Um and that's where they're targeting. We see groups that are specifically targeting candidates and council people. Yeah, they're um, harassing them, like scary harassing. Yeah, because they know that you know they can get a lot more done and they can put together these regulations that might serve as a de facto ban or a de facto moratorium. And so I think that's why local elections are going to be so critical moving forward. Mm-hmm. Um, we we need to get some, we need to wrangle the volatility essentially. Exactly. And I mean, I, I, I firmly believe there are pro-business Democrats out there. Again, oh, this yeah. is not a I don't see it as issue. a Democrat versus Republican. Exactly. I see it as educated energy versus uneducated energy. Exactly. So exactly. But to your point, Colorado has done a damn good job. I mean, a damn good mm-hmm. job. We, as an energy industry, and let's go back to oil and gas because that's what everybody's up in arms about. If I drive someone through an oil field who doesn't know about oil and gas, the chances of them actually recognizing a wellhead are slim to none. We do restoration efforts that are unprecedented across any other industry. Weld County was the fastest growing county in the country for years. And now we're fighting things like Boulder's opinion. So why is it not resonating from your perspective, from the policy perspective? Why are all these good things not resonating to the environmentalists who claim that they want them and we are delivering. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I think there's two different pieces to that. Mm-hmm. I think one, um, and to be completely honest, and this is something that we're focus- focusing on here, kind of shifting our focus, we as an industry haven't done a very good job of telling our story. We are doing all of these really, really amazing things. Mm-hmm. We are constantly innovating. I mean, many of our companies were the first people to invest first companies to invest in renewable energy but oh yeah no one knows it's energy that. exactly um, we're not giving up our stakeholder we want energy <laughs> exactly um and so we haven't you know we the other side has been using scare tactics of public health safety you know your children's playgrounds are in danger your um, children are going to have nosebleeds etc so they're using this scare tactic this rhetoric that to the average individual who is not ingrained in this industry every mm-hmm. day that sounds scary i yeah. mean if someone, it's fair 
if someone came up to me and said that and I had no idea what they're talking about, I mean, I'd probably go do some more research, but that's it's, the difference, <laughs> but it's, it's a little scary. And, um, I, I get that side of things. And so one thing that we're focusing on or going to be trying on focusing, we've always responded with the economics, which is vitally important. And it, you know, we are a pillar to Colorado state, state economy, but it doesn't resonate. And, Mm-mm. you know, people here, the oil and gas industry is talking about money and that doesn't mean anything to them. It's big industry talking about a greedy factor, so to speak. Exactly. So we need to do a better job as an industry of responding to those scare tactics Mm -hmm. with the actual science and the, what we are doing to protect public health, safety, welfare, and the environment, because we are doing it every single day. And, you know, our employees, they're environmentalists at heart. Oh, they, yeah. You know, I love the outdoors. I like to breathe clean air. I like to go to the mountains. You find me above. one geologist that does not like to just live in near their rocks. Exactly. I mean, come on. <laughs> exactly. So we need to, I think that's part of been one of our biggest problems is we've, and, you know, we have a bunch of really smart people. And when this whole rhetoric started, we, you know, they would come and say, oh, this is, you know, contaminating groundwater. And our response was kind of like, that's not even logical. So we're not even going to justify a response exactly. with it. And that's where we kind of missed the boat mm-hmm. in that we let them kind of share their message that was very infactual. And we felt like we did, just couldn't justify a response with it because it was so out of bounds. But really, we needed to. And yeah. we need to continue to We needed to, to respond so. to crazy, so to speak. Yes. We just have to... <laughs> We have to meet the messaging is really what we need to do to kind of get that to resonate. Well, do you think Colorado has really put themselves in this, like even more so than what you're talking about? Because in several situations, we'll have entities who are leading the charge. But if you talk about climate change, they don't want to have that conversation because they want to avoid the mess that might come with it. Or, yeah, we can innovate. You need us to not make as big a footprint? Yeah, sure. No problem. And we're always – they always – I guess, ask for an inch, we give them an inch, they come back and demand a mile. And we've gotten into ourselves into a point where we're not pushing back. We're just, okay, yeah, we'll figure it out. Don't don't throw a fit, don't throw a fit. So what can operators, what can our regulatory bodies do to successfully push back without coming across in a negative fashion? Yeah, um, I, I honestly think that we'll probably see that um i'm hoping in the coming months because it, we're not going to have a choice um some of the things some of the ass that the other side that doesn't like our industry want i mean their their end goal is to put us out of business and there's going to have to be a point where the our regulatory body i mean governor polis and the bill sponsors over and over said again said this is not a moratorium this is not intended 181 is not intended to be a moratorium he also called us silly quite quite a few times (laughs) that did happen as well (laughs) um but i think we're gonna have to leverage that as an industry to say okay if if this is not really intended to be a moratorium then we need to ensure reasonable and necessary language and regulations are put into place and i honestly think that that's going to have to happen um if they're going to stay true to their word because Mm -hmm. otherwise we're going to get a set of regulations that operators aren't going to be able to comply with yeah um and just that they are not the money will go away yeah and they're just not you know 
even technically feasible. And I know I'm not supposed to use those words anymore, but um, there's a truth to that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we have to do what we have to do what we have to do. And um, so I think we'll get to that point. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. It's interesting, the Polis situation. Um, I am hoping to interview him eventually. Hopefully I'll work my way up the ranks. But um, he he's not a fan of energy. His, historically, he was never a fan of the energy industry. And he, by saying, I don't want a moratorium, but kind of secretly I do, it's really going to hurt the state in the long run. I don't think people realize how integral in, uh, the energy industry is to the economics of our state from schools to basic infrastructure to the right uh, mountain ma- maintenance that we have so do you think polis will have to eventually change his tune in order to make in order to not kill our state off essentially yeah so one of the things that's interesting about our industry here in Colorado I think and one of the people things that people miss or you know, don't think about and one, what we've heard a lot of post 181. Um, the the answers that we hear is, well, it's six months past and everything's fine. That's not which true. Is, <laughs> which is we know is not the case. But the revenue that's generated from our industry is very cyclical. Severance tax, um, which we contribute a significant amount to the mm-hmm. state's economy, is two years a two year lag. So oh yeah, this that rhetoric of you know everything's fine, everything's great, the same amount of dollars are going into the state. Um, It's going to take a little bit for that to catch up. Mm -hmm. And it could very well happen where, you know, two years, three years, four years down the road, when we start to see those severance tax dollars go down and catch up to the state revenue or Mm -hmm. to the general fund, um, that's when it could be, oh, okay, this, this really is an issue or this you know this didn't go as planned (laughs) yeah there there are some things we need to um we need to address here and you know as we see permitting numbers go down which you know to give cogcc staff some credit they they're they're in a new world too and they're trying to navigate 181 and integrate that into their permitting process Mm -hmm. but as we see those permits go down it's going to be three four years until we actually see the revenue generated to for the state go down and I think that's um, one of the issues we face because we can't necessarily as an industry say oh yeah you're gonna have you know X amount less severance tax dollars this year Mm because that's not how our revenue generation is set up for the state and I don't think people realize that these permits are not just like an application online I think the last one I heard about took two years to get approved and go through the system and that that puts a delay on everything. So while people are saying and dropping headlines going, this isn't hurting operators, they're good throughout the year, what they mean is they are good with the permits that they secured for three to four years ago, mm-hmm. which really only takes us through 2020. So to your point, it might take us a little while to see how the economics change, but it's literally 2020 is in two months. Yes. Oh, wait, yes. no, one month, maybe <laughs> yeah. two. I can't one even tell anyone. <laughs> one, one and a half, half. perfect. <laughs> what about places like Boulder County? I mean, they don't fool me. <laughs> they are a little hoity-toity, a little high and mighty, and they just because they don't like it doesn't mean they don't like the influx of capital. They just don't want to participate in the game in order to get the payout. 
how do we manage that sort of attitude? I mean, it seems to me that other counties would be like, uh-uh, pay to play, dude. You can't keep up. But yet they're getting to throw a fit, and, and a lot of times they get their way. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, the issue going back to 181 is that um, because of the local cult control that was granted there are some counties municipalities that to your point just don't want us there period mm-hmm. um and they first they, they want, well first well in colorado yes boulder yes um and that's that's going to be one of our biggest struggles mm-hmm. is 181 can be leveraged as a tool to somehow de facto ban our industry and yeah. that's um you know there's there's greater unintended consequences there. And, um, you know, when severance tax, they get direct distribution dollars. And it's kind of, um, it's kind of ironic because, you know, (laughs) they are receiving money from the industry, but they also don't want the industry there. Um, So it's, it's a it's so interesting weird. dilemma. <laughs> yes. Are y'all having to navigate that in any capacity and be involved in those communications? Yeah, I think, um, you know, we haven't thus far been super engaged in some of those areas, but um, we I think we will be. We're, we're engaged in any area that wants to put a de facto <laughs> ban on our, on our industry and figuring out how to navigate that is something we're going to be facing for years to come so if you had to predict it today what do you think the energy industry is going to look like in Colorado in five years if if people don't start paying attention and listening yeah um I mean again brave new world and there's a lot of unknowns and I know that's not <laughs> this a great is going to be the title of your episode and I cannot wait brave new world brave of new oil world. <laughs> um I am hopeful that, you know, we can figure out a way to navigate through 181. Mm-hmm. Um, again, we don't want a pendulum swing of policy. So we have 181 now, and we're going to just have to figure out how to navigate that. Yeah. And my hope is that, um, you know, reasonable and necessary will really come into pic- come into the picture. And okay. um, our operators are innovative and, you know, are constantly evolving. And we're going to have to evolve to to 181 yeah um but i do think you know there is a scenario where um where the landscape and the picture of what the oil and gas industry in colorado looks like changes um pretty drastically you know colorado is known for having small operators medium operators big operators across the board yeah the whole spectrum yeah the whole gamut and that's kind of what our oil and gas industry was founded on is Mm -hmm is having that diversity and I'm hopeful that that diversity can remain with the regulations that are put into place moving forward. I hope so too. How do you think energy in total is going to change? Because you do have contact with other states and y'all API as a whole is very good about staying on the forefront of policy. Mm -hmm. So with the 2020 election coming up with all the rhetoric you're hearing from, you know, presidential hopefuls, how, how is it actually going to translate? What's going to happen to us? Because we're already in the age of consolidation. Yep. And that's just the ups and downs of business. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I mean, it's it's scary to think about, especially when you think about the rhetoric that's going on with the 2020 elections. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not this sense of reality, and there's not this sense of, you know, America right now is in a unique position where we have our energy independence. And 
um, which provides a great sense of security for the U.S. as a as a whole. Yeah, and I think it's going to be critical that we maintain that. Um, but with the rhetoric that's been going on, um, I fear that you know the pendulum swing could come in depending <laughs> on how things go, um, which no one knows right now, obviously, mm-hmm. and that's the scary part. I mean, I think you know we as an industry really, really need to do our do our due diligence mm-hmm. in educating um, politicians, elected officials, and just the general public right now. Because if we turn into a scenario where um, there's this general rhetoric or this general trend of banning energy development or oil and gas development, yeah. we're going to lose that sense of energy independence and energy security. Um, in energy the security. States. You nailed it. I love that phrasing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so that's going to be really critical in the months to come. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll see what ends up happening there. Um, what do you think about some of these groups that are popping up? Uh, I'm going to call them social media groups for right now, but they're all about uh, changing the narrative. And I actually, I just had an episode release uh, with Lisa Hamill about Energy 360, and she's approaching it from it's not necessarily about changing the narrative it's more about recognizing how energy flows through everybody's daily life and I really love her uh her story for all of that but um we're seeing a lot of groups pop up on social media that are trying to push the same thing but they're falling into buy our swag or this is a photo op um how can they do better so to speak how can they support things like CPC and y'all's efforts. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think what's going to be super critical for our industry moving forward Mm -hmm. is that our messaging is aligned. Yeah. And, um, you know, people hear things and things resonate with them when they are hearing the same thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that's going to be um, something that is critical moving forward and something we're working on is how can we ensure that all of these different groups, because I think, you know, what the other side is really good at is grassroots. Um, they have so many fringe groups while they might all be connected to one larger group. Um, <laughs> Who are you they, talking about? <laughs> they, um, they're really good at kind of the messaging and all talking from the same mm-hmm. hymnal and hitting those same points. And so that's the one thing that I implore kind of all of the energy groups to do and to look at right now is to ensure that we're all using the same talking points. Because I like that. Unified all, front. Exactly. If we can show a unified front and we can hit the same points over and over and over again mm-hmm. and really drive home that message, it's going to start resonating. Yeah. So. I think that's excellent. How can an individual like myself or someone else get more involved with CPC in order to spread y'all's good work forward and to honestly become a part of the unified front yeah absolutely um well here at api we have a lot of really good programs um on mobilizing our industry supporters Mm -hmm. um both employees of the energy industry or just plain old supporters who aren't you know integrated into the industry every day and so you know anytime um that anyone in that is a supporter needs messaging or needs talking points or anything like that um i encourage them to reach out to us directly and we can and you are very good at that so they really should do that (laughs) (laughs) good good. yeah and i and just in general i think you know the one thing that we all as supporters of the industry need to do is start talking more start talking to your neighbors Mm -hmm. who 
don't even think about these things. I think, you know, one of the things we face is the voices that are against our industry, they're just really loud, but they're actually a minority. Mm-hmm. I think there's a broader group out there that just doesn't think about this every day and just doesn't think about the battles that we're facing because they don't they don't have to. Yeah. You know, we're ingrained in it. I do this every single day. But if we can start talking to our neighbors and start educating just any opportunity we get, mm-hmm. we'll start spreading that message. I think that's excellent. Um so we're going to jump into you because you're quite impressive in terms of how you've scaled the ladder. And I think your story is something that can resonate really well throughout the industry because we tend to get uh, caught up in the world of Petros, the world of Geos, and everyone else forgets that there's so many more people to our industry than just petroleum and geologists. So because you looked for opportunity within API and you were able to carve out that niche, can you give us some advice on how someone else in industry, be they in the field, in the office, regulatory, what have you, could start looking for opportunities within their own companies so that they can be an entrepreneur and ascend the ranks? Yeah. Um, I think, you know, one of the things that's really worked for me is I'm just extra passionate about energy. I think I said that earlier. <laughs> you know, energy is such an integral part of our lives and I I understand that and I want other people to understand that and I think one of the things that works really well because to your point there's so many positions in the oil and gas industry it's so it's, massive <laughs> it's amazing to me I'm like yeah. wait, there's there's that position that doesn't even I would never even have thought that and so I think you know for anyone in the energy industry especially like the engineers and the geologists who are really passionate about this issue to just show that passion and to drive it on a you know more public scale and mm-hmm. to always look for those opportunities where there might be you know plenty there's so many networking events I swear I see on LinkedIn oh all the time networking events within the energy industry which tonight. is so cool yeah <laughs> um, every single day and to really kind of step outside of the box and um, have those conversations on how you know one of the coolest things I've seen in some of the really really talented people I work with are um, people who have been in this industry for so long and they're just now starting to talk about it on a more public facing front mm-hmm. and to have that knowledge base really educating outward um, on our industry is just really impressive to me and mm-hmm. I think kind of stepping outside of the box and having those conversations is really what can help you kind of build build that repertoire. How do we actually get into that for the younger generations? Because you see every, you know, two weeks, we'll see SPE ask for people to go chat at schools. But the reality is, is that a lot of those professors or teachers there are not pro oil and gas. So just because you come and talk to them about energy or oil and gas or fossil fuels doesn't mean that it's not getting erased when you leave. So how can we open up this discussion of energy in a more effective way to our younger generations before they decide that we are evil big corporation, which is not the case. Yeah, um, I think, and that's something we've thought about a lot and tried to focus on. Uh, I think it's start early. Um, I think <laughs> maybe we assume being <laughs> teachers. <laughs> yeah, um, I think you know so often again the energy industry in general is just taken for granted Mm -hmm. um the kids that are on their cell phones every day or playing their video games 
bloody, they don't bloody know. brilliant but good lord <laughs> yeah um they don't know that there's you know that's from petroleum mm-hmm. and you know the other piece i think because technology and innovation is so um prevalent now in schools and um a lot of these kids are like oh i want to do robotics and that type of thing because that's what's cool they don't see that there's those opportunities in the oil and gas industry yeah and i think that's um, one of the gaps that's out there mm-hmm. is we need to do a better job of to your point going in early and educating and say hey you want to do robotics it's everywhere yeah let's go to the oil and gas <laughs> you industry want big data it's everywhere <laughs> exactly i mean i think the oil and gas industry is one of the early adopters of all things technology and mm-hmm. all things innovation and we need to somehow figure out a way to bridge that gap i don't necessarily know the answer yet but yeah. um i think if it's a message that we can keep you know driving and we can get into schools early and have those conversations i think that'll be really important what about the conversations for those that are not necessarily like let's go back to the teachers you when you joined this you became very passionate about energy because you got to see how it affected everything mm-hmm. how do we help that type of enthusiasm translate to the teachers translate to someone who's not necessarily in energy but might be curious about energy yeah i think I don't think there's an easy answer to that question. Uh, <laughs> if you have a blueprint for it, I would love it. <laughs> yeah, I think I would be a millionaire. If I, I know, did. right? Um, Living in California, waiting for the electricity to turn off. <laughs> exactly. Um, but I think you know, really figuring out ways to kind of connect the dots is really important. You know, mm-hmm. when I talk to one of my friends who is a teacher, if I say. Um, you know something about policy that doesn't resonate with them yeah but if or even if I say like you're driving your car that doesn't resonate with them but if I say (laughs) everyone hates that one (laughs) I know they really do (laughs) um but if I can somehow connect the dots to say okay and you know economics while I said that we need to focus on public health and safety Mm -hmm. um it does still play a critical role and if I can connect the dots to say hey you know one you're classroom is made of petroleum products the things that you're using to teach your students is derived from our products um and second the funding that your the industry <laughs> provides to um your school is mm-hmm. making some of the things that you're able to do possible exactly and there's a lot of work to be done and uh, you know i i think there's a lot more that industry can do to connect those dots mm-hmm. or to try and figure that out but I think you just have to connect the dots for a person in a very personal way. Yeah. No, that's what the other side's doing. I absolutely agree with that. I mean, your children are able to ride bikes because of us. You know, I just, I love the stories that we do. I just wish they resonated more effectively, to your point. Um, if you were able to have a reasonable and necessary, again, my favorite phrase, <laughs> conversation with the other side, you having not been in industry and found your way into it, what would you say, what would you hope would resonate? What would you hope they would take back to their team? Yeah, um, you know, I think one of the biggest things for me, and I learned this a lot through my master's program and just the work that I've done here, and even early on I realized this, 
I don't think that there's a one size fits all. I don't think there's an answer, one answer Mm -hmm. for our energy needs moving forward. And I think it really is an all of the above approach. And I think industry very much would support that. Um, I think people forget that, again, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of our companies were the first people to invest in renewable energy and the market just wasn't there. Exactly. Um, And I think that would be the reasonable piece of the conversation that I'd want to have is there's not... People say 100% renewables, but they don't think about all of the other things that fossil fuels create and the opportunities that it gives in our lives. And if I, if in a reasonable conversation, that would be what I would say is that just because we say 100% renewables, one that that's not a light switch. We can't just Mm-mm. flip that on and it's going to be here tomorrow. And right now, it's not possible. Exactly, and it's just not feasible. And I think people forget that, and I think the side that wants our industry to go out of business uses that as a talking point yeah um and the people who might not have a lot of you know integration or exposure to the industry are like oh sure yeah that makes sense because Mm -hmm. let's be honest the electricity grid is really complicated it really is actually (laughs) kudos Um, to those engineers (laughs) yes exactly so i think that would be you know my biggest piece of the conversation is diversity is good yeah and that includes the energy portfolio absolutely I think all resources are beneficial and you know are good and that's what gives us the U.S. our energy independence that Mm -hmm. we have such a diverse portfolio and maintaining that diversity is going to be critical I completely agree and you know it's it's going to be interesting what happens in the next few years but i'm so grateful for y'all and for all the work you're doing at cpc because i don't think without it we would have that opportunity for the unified front so thank you for everything Absolutely. um i know we're winding down mm-hmm. a day in your life <laughs> i'm talking from the time you wake up any tips tricks you've really set yourself ahead in this industry how did you do it? What made you proactive, efficient, effective um, that you noticed that you were doing that maybe someone else wasn't that they could adopt? So what are your tricks throughout the day to make your day a useful, productive day? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think uh, well, every day looks very different. Um, there is always something new. Are you saying agility is necessary? <laughs> agility is very necessary. Um, but really, I think prioritize prioritization is really important. How do you prioritize? Um, I think, you know, there's a lot of fire drills in our industry, especially on our side of things. And um, I mean, I have a to-do list that there's some things on my to-do list, to be honest, that I transfer over to the next day and the next day and the next day, <laughs> even weeks sometimes. Um, you mean like going to the gym? <laughs> I do that. Well, yeah, that, that one especially. I've been meaning to go to the gym for like six months now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, but, you know, really looking at what's going to be the biggest impact on our industry and, you know, how are we as a trade association going to make the mm-hmm. biggest difference for our member companies, um, understanding that and being able to prioritize those issues is really what gets me through my day. Yeah. Um, just because, you know, I feel okay if one thing falls off, but mm-hmm. this one's a bigger issue and that's what I focused on today. So okay. really, um, prioritization is... It's your key to success. Key. Yes. What time do you wake up? Um, it depends on the day. Uh, <laughs> sometimes I try and get a few days of sleeping in to like seven. Oh, um, that, that really is sleeping in. It yeah. cracks me up because my brothers don't think that's sleeping in. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it really is. And so some days I try and give myself that just because I know it'll be a later night Yeah, or just because sometimes you need it. You need it. Um, 
So yeah, it just kind of depends <laughs> on the day, but usually around like 5.30ish. Is there anything that API or CPC foresees on the horizon that everyone should start keeping their ear to the ground about? Might not be in our, you know, might not be on our plate just yet, but we need to keep our ears open for. Um, I don't know if there's one big issue that's that's coming up. I think one of the things that, you know, I've thought a lot about is us as an industry, we have come to our supporters when we need something. We mm-hmm. have um, 181. We, or sorry, back up a little bit. 112. 112. The sky was falling. Um, oh, it was. <laughs> 181. The sky was falling. Yeah. And I don't want our the supporters of the energy industry to think we just falsely said that and mm-hmm. here we are and things are okay. Um, what I think is important is to, to keep engaged and to keep understanding what's still happening post 181 because mm-hmm. there's a lot. Um, and so it's not, we didn't just say the sky is falling because the, the sky was kind of falling and now it's not. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of challenges we have ahead and I think paying attention and um, continuing to look at what that looks like is going to be important. Mm-hmm. How do you decompress when you, because like I said, it's work-life integration now. Mm-hmm. You don't really get to go home and turn it off. So mm-hmm. what do you do to make sure that your brain gets to recuperate? Um, if I'm being completely honest, <laughs> I watch Friends a lot. <laughs> um, and the Parks reason, and Rec here. <laughs> well, the reason for that is I've seen it so many times. I think I've seen every episode like mm-hmm. 27 times. Yeah. Um, and it's a, it's a good, uh, for me, it's a good decompression method that I don't really have to pay attention because exactly. I've seen it all and I, you know, have heard it. Um, but it's, <laughs> it's still funny and it makes me laugh. So that's kind of a... I don't know. That's one of the ways I do it. I do the exact same thing with Parks and Rec. It's just always playing in the background for whatever reason. Yes. What is a book, podcast, or other resource that you would recommend that's brought you value that you think could bestow value upon someone else? Could be anything. Yeah. This one's a tough one. Um, I think there's a lot out there. Um, But one of the books that I recently read that I really liked, and it's a little bit of a tougher one to get through, (laughs) um, but it's the Business Adventures 12 Classic Tales from the World of Wall Street. Ooh, Um, I like that. And it talks about uh, some really big organizations and the failures they went through, Um, like various failures. And I think that one I really enjoyed. And again, it's a little bit of a slower book, and it's not necessarily like a for fun type of of read, but... um, you know, we fail here every day. Yeah. I mean, the the industry is constantly going over rough patches, and that's okay. And um, failure is acceptable, and it gets you where you're going. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one book that really resonated with I me. I like that. But honestly, if you're not failing, then you're not trying. Yes. So I think that is awesome, awesome recommendation. Well, Carrie, thank you so much for taking the time. I love learning about CPC. I loved hearing more about policy and how people can get more involved and really keep doing what y'all are doing because without you, I don't think we would have this opportunity for the unique, to manage the pivot as uniquely as we get to. So thank you so much for the value you brought today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Hell yeah, Carrie Hackenberger. I swear y'all, Carrie is one of the most passionate oil and gas advocates around. I love that her episode is leading us into the new year. And why? Well, in her very words, this is going to be a brave new world. Carrie and I may be discussing Colorado's oil and gas policy, but make no mistake about it. This is a brave new world for our entire oil and gas industry, and we need a unified front. 
Thank you, Carrie and Colorado Petroleum Council, for all that you do to protect our industry every day. And happy 2020, y'all. Hold on. One more thing before you go. If today's episode brought you any sort of value, go online, rate, review, subscribe. Also, if you have any topics or influencers you would like us to feature, you can get in touch with us via Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, or the website at www.thecrudeaudacity.com. Thanks so much for your engagement, and until next week, give them hell.